Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 7 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Man, these seasons just fly by. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This week, we've got a real treat. The co-CEOs of First Light Whiskey, Ryan Espy and David Elizondo, are joining the show to share their entrepreneurial journey and why they decided coffee whiskey was going to be the focus of their now award-winning spirits company. Just in case you need to dip out early this week, I'm telling you right away, the guys said, hey, we want roast listeners to try this whiskey. And to make it easier, they set up a discount code on barbank.com. If you want to try First Light Coffee Whiskey or their Dark Roast Coffee Whiskey, use the discount code RWC. That is the capital letter initials of this show, RWC, on barbank.com. I did this this morning, and not only did I get the discount, but the shipping was free too, which was a nice surprise. I'll post the link in the show notes and on roastwestcoast.com, and share it on Instagram, at roastwestcoast. David and Ryan and I have met in real life, and beyond being motivated entrepreneurs, and in Ryan Espy's case, a true coffee nerd, they exude a calmness that, frankly, I'm a bit envious of, and don't often find in entrepreneurs. Today, we talk about the ethos of First Light Whiskey and how those moments in between the moments where things slow down enough to take a deep breath matter so much to the success of their business. I usually tell you to fill your coffee mug right about now, and this week is no different. I picked up a cup of Steady State Roasting's Daybreak at Queen Stage Coffee House in Encinitas, California. The first sip was delicious, but since Thursdays are essentially the kickoff to the weekend, I'm going to spice this one up with a little bit of coffee whiskey, and I promise I won't judge if you do too. I hope you enjoy the first of this two-part interview featuring Ryan Espy and David Elizondo, co-CEOs of First Light Whiskey, on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I should say welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. If you guys wouldn't mind, I'll start with you, Ryan. Say your name and what your what the name of your company is, if you want, if you would, and kind of your role at the company, and then we'll run over to David. And then when we're done, maybe you can tell me what your favorite Ninja Turtle is. Okay, yeah. Um, so hi guys, uh, my name is Ryan Espinosa. Um, I often go by Ryan Espy. I'm one of the founders of First Light Whiskey. Uh, we're a coffee-flavored whiskey company, which is our primary products now. And then we're really focused in on being, uh, you know, being the predominant lifestyle craft spirits brand. And what is it that you do? Uh, what is your kind of your half of the company? Or what is your role as a founder? Yeah, so I mean, Dave and I are both really co-CEOs, so we both run a lot of the the management. Um, my focus is more on the marketing and branding side of things. And you know, kind of running running the sales and marketing side of the business. And you, David. Hey guys, my name is David Elizondo, uh, co-founder at First Light Coffee Whiskey. Um, I'm handling uh, like in-market sales, new account onboarding, activating uh, new regions, and connecting with our distribution team uh, to just spread the word and share the stoke. And do either of you have a favorite Ninja Turtle? Uh, David, I think you're a little bit younger than Ryan and I, so I won't blame you if, if you don't, if you're only familiar with the newer Turtles. 
I remember playing the the OG games and uh, like Michelangelo. Michelangelo was uh, was the guy. Yeah, mine was mine. Is, I guess is and was uh, Donatello always. Yeah. <laughs> That actually, if I would have guessed, those are the two I would have guessed for you guys, because I do know you a little bit for anyone listening. I've actually interviewed these guys once before for a different podcast, so I know a little bit of their story. And since then, uh, they've been great supporters of this show. Uh, You hear me shout them out at the end of every show and you see them in our newsletter and stuff. But we haven't talked a lot about coffee. That show was more about the whiskey side of things. And so I want to kind of ask you both if you had... Uh, a first experience with coffee way before you started a coffee whiskey brand or, or spirits company that made you think, yeah, you know, this is, this is interesting. This is something that's going to be part of my life. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did like 100%. So I guess it was, I didn't really drink a lot of coffee until I got out of college. So after SDSU, which is about graduated in 2013, I think in college, I was just on the Red Bull and monster and any colored can that they sold at the Aztec shops, you know, to keep me awake. But then after after college, and I started uh, down my entrepreneurial path, I was very much a, a coffee shop entrepreneur, like I was in the web design and development space. And I would just visit every different coffee shop and post up for hours to work. And through that, I started really getting into coffee and going from like drift coffees to pour over coffees to like V60s and all these different, you know, types of coffee and really learning flavors and whatnot. I like built my own Kyoto machine at my house, like cold drip, cold brew, got into that a lot. And then like in that time of building like a couple businesses, I, I met another professional who we wanted to build. He was an older guy. He owns a bunch of property here in San Diego. And kind of like in the retired space, but wanted to like have and invest in a coffee company. So I kind of worked with him for about a year building like a business strategy to, to actually build a roastery and tasting room here in San Diego. I visited the Starbucks Reserve Roastery up in Seattle. I went, you know, I kind of just got, you know, learned about like importation and just kind of really went deep into the coffee to like, we didn't end up going forward on the business. I was kind of went a different way but kind of build all the foundation of like what it was going to look like and how it was going to get executed. So from there, it just, I, I had a love for, for coffee and really never looked back. Like I, like this morning I went to bird rock and had a, you know, spent $10 on a pour over coffee. So. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, my experience with coffee has been just like cheap coffee in, uh, in college, like undergrad at ASU, there's a spot called Dutch bros. It's like right off of campus. It's the go-to spot. I would have that a fair bit. Um, also drank a lot of tea during that time. So like didn't have like a really like go-to coffee I would have every day. Um, and then just more recently really have discovered like a lot more of the nuance and subtleties of the coffee experience. Really, um, you introduced us to Chris at Coffee Cycle and going to uh, his class and learning about the different beans and different uh, like processing methods and like trying the washed and natural side by side and experiencing blends from different regions and like seeing how like delicate the flavor profiles really are and how much nuance there is. I know coffee is one of the most highly nuanced flavor profiles in the world. And uh, like I really at that time fell in love with uh, the Ethiopia natural characteristics and that's my go-to these days. 
I totally forgot that you guys had taken that class. What about whiskey then? Uh, obviously, you're a spirits company uh, that's working with coffee, and I'm going to get to that question in a minute because, as you mentioned, it is a nuanced drink, and I feel like that'd be very complicated. But do you remember having a whiskey that stood out to you before starting your own spirits company? And then maybe, Ron, we'll start with you and then and go to David. And then, David, maybe you could speak a little bit to what inspired you to start doing that business plan at SDSU. Yeah, so for myself, um, this goes back to college as well. I was not drinking whiskey in college at all, I should say. So, okay, yeah. So, I mean, I definitely was. It was kind of weird. So, I grew up in the country, to make this story as brief as possible, up in uh, Modesto, Central Valley, California. And, you know, to, to be frank, like, we there wasn't a lot to do in high school, so we, like, drank. And we had, like, all, like you know, high school parties in the country, and everybody got together in a field, and, like, that's, what, like, what the kids did, you know? And so, when I got to San Diego State, I wasn't, like, very much a typical like freshmen that were just drinking, like I was kind of past the, the, the binge drinking and I was drinking like whiskey and kind of got into scotch like really early. And I would be like sipping scotch at our college parties. Right. And then I moved to, i moved to North Park shortly after and like lived on the street of seven grand on like my back of my apartment building, like was on the alley it was on. And this was when they kind of were, were still new. Like it wasn't what it is today as far as like a prominent, like the flagship whiskey spot. And so as I started going there, I got introduced to a ton of different whiskeys. I like knew the bartenders pretty well, like really like dove into, yeah, the the world of whiskey. And I mean, I'm a Scotch guy. So like, I, I really liked Oban. I always remember that one sticking out. You know, I, I favor the peaty kind of smoky stuff. So yeah, it started, it started early for me. And I've like, you know, I still enjoy bourbon a lot too. And just been been a whiskey drinker for quite some time. In my experience, I started uh, encountering some whiskeys a little bit later um, in college. Had some bad experiences early with like vodka and just binge drinking whatever else freshman year. And then got into a little more, you know, subtle, nuanced uh, brands. I think the ones I enjoyed most at the later end of college and then coming out when I was starting San Diego State for the MBA program uh, were the Centauri House whiskeys. Um, so like the Whiskey Toki was my first uh, experience there and then the Hibiki Harmony as well. And I really enjoyed those light flavor profiles. And then if I'm not mistaken, uh, if I understand this, David, you started writing a kind of a spirits company business plan or a business plan of sorts that eventually evolved, correct me if I'm wrong, while you were in that MBA program. Is that right? And then how did kind of how did that evolve from there and then turn into a partnership with with Ryan? Yeah, so first semester of the MBA program at SDSU, I had just finished uh, my time at Arizona State and came back home to San Diego. And it was a marketing management class. And the semester long project was coming up with a business plan that we presented to the class at the end of the semester. Um, so did a lot of research. Uh, stumbled into the idea of a spirits brand, not whiskey, not coffee whiskey at that point. Um, the initial idea was vodka because it's like the easiest to source and, and you just blend it down with water and you don't have to do all this R&D and like different flavor profile testing. So it seemed like something that was actually feasible since I had no experience in the industry at all. At that point, it was literally just sounded like a fun concept to work on. And uh, then we pre I presented the project at the end of the class. A couple other 
group mates and for whatever reason it really stuck in my mind at that time I was surfing with Ryan and Adam our other cousin in OB all the time as well and the name First Light came from the the surf report uh, when we were going out every morning this project was happening and it was a really inspiring moment and it seemed like something that would work well because like from the very very beginning like a core element of First Light has been about celebrating and preserving giving back to our natural world the first light name and the surf report really just uh, fell into place beautifully and then after the project the other team members continued on with their mba uh, they want to get sidetracked on some whiskey pipe dream or not even whiskey but like craft spirits uh, idea but it, it really like the seed was planted in my mind and and right after that i uh, reached out to ryan and and talked about it with my girlfriend at the time now wife cassidy it, it was something that wasn't like immediately shot down by the close network. And it was like, maybe we could actually do this. And like, maybe there's something here and like, why not like per like take the next step and see what happens at that point, Ryan started diving into what the brand would look like visually. Um, and really like getting the core foundational elements of the first light brand essence put, you know, together an illustrator and we're like doing bottle mockups and, and right after, uh, that I got an internship at uh, the spot called the California Spirits Company and started learning the process of distilling, production, bottling, sourcing uh, ingredients, and uh, jumping through all the regulatory hoops to get this idea that was in our head into a bottle and eventually onto a shelf. Well, that's always a challenge. I think a lot of people have ideas and a lot of people have great ideas, but it's that next step. It's the putting it into action part that that can trip you up. Before we go further, could you explain to me um, or to us uh, what first light refers to in surfing terms? Like what, I think I understand the concept of it being sunrise, but how does that relate to surfing in that report? Yeah. So it's uh it's, it's specifically like the first moment that you're, that you get sunlight like over the water, right? So if you can go out before first light, you can go out in the dark then be on the water, like right when that hits. So what it means is like, that's the moment that the, you get that sun, the sunlight coming across and, you know, more kind of a higher level. It's like that really visual representation of the start of a new day, right? The beginning of a new adventure. And there was, you know, as we were doing this in college, right? You're, you tend to stay up late for one reason or, not, or another. And then, you know, the best surf is typically in the morning. So it's like your alarm goes off and it's so easy to not get up and and do it right to like sleep in or roll over and like choose to not do it and there's a lot of resistance there to actually get up in the winter this was winter at the time so it's cold like it's not a fun experience to get up early drive go in the cold like put on a wetsuit dive into like you know big surf and but after you do you get out and there's this like every single time you're glad you did and you feel alive and you feel ready for the day and it's about capturing that moment and really like celebrating those those things and inspiring people to like choose those adventures, like whatever it means to you, whether it's surfing or skating or hiking or just, you know, working early or doing whatever it does that makes you feel alive. Like the first light embodiment is like, hey, do those things, like overcome that resistance, live your life. And like it, it's rewarding at the end of it. I like the surfing, uh, the part of surfing where you're standing on the shore drinking coffee, but the other parts of it, I'm a little, uh, 
little hesitant on. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'd have to admit, like some of our first uh, product tests were out there in OB, like with the local, you know, we're sitting there drinking the coffee, testing it out, talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the part where I have to get into the water that I'm a little you know, shaky yeah. on. Uh, I, I did not learn how to swim as a child, so I'm a little nervous when I get out in the waves. So you're going through this internship, David, and you're kind of learning on sourcing. Ryan's working on kind of this concept of branding. At this point, is it still just kind of this thing that's out into the future? Or at what point did you say, no, we're going to we're gonna fucking do this? Excuse my language, everyone. This is something we're going to move forward on. And I would assume that challenges came up that made you question that decision. You know, what sort of walls did you run into or have to run through? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the biggest moments early in the journey where we were like, okay, like this is happening, we're, we're moving forward here, uh, was the first uh, decent size investment we got. Um, and we actually saw like a path towards like sourcing the materials and putting stuff in a bottle. It was a, a local uh, friends and family uh, member we met named Martin uh, early in the journey. And and we met him through uh, through Jess, Ryan's girlfriend, uh, which was just very serendipitous. And uh, they connected. We connected with Martin. We showed him the spot I was working at the time, uh, California Spirits Company, and did a walkthrough, showed him what we were working on, uh, tasted him out on some of the early like prototypes of the coffee whiskey. So, I mean, we didn't have like product in finished bottle labeled, but we had like some early like test batches. And he tried it and it was like, once everyone tried that first batch, it was like, there's something here. Like this is like something different and special. And soon after tasting that, we got the initial investment we needed to actually order the glass and uh, order the agave and all the raw materials like corks, sleeves, labels, everything we needed to actually put something in a bottle. So, I mean, that was like really opened the door. And then COVID, um, really, like the lockdowns happened right after that. Um, so that investment came in like January 2020, and then uh, lockdowns in March. And it was a wild ride. We're like, can we actually still do this? All the bars and restaurants are closed. <laughs> all the retail stores are not doing tastings at all. And uh, we ended up partnering with a local uh, small batch distillery called San Diego Distillery in Spring Valley and connected with the owner, Trent and asked him if we could use his distillery, like small batch basis. Um, we were hand blending the first bottles during that COVID time, like wearing masks in the facility and hand blending in 50 gallon drums. And then it was just like hand bottle, everything handmade, like Ryan and Cassidy and I are, uh, are in the facility. And like, we've got like a, another like friend or team member in there with us, just all full manual process. Uh, and we put together the first batches, like during the lockdowns and then uh, this really big uh, local awards competition called the SIP Awards based in Southern California, like uh, was transitioning from their normal events where they get a bunch of people together and do the tasting events and the judging. And they had just pivoted towards home tastings. So they send these kits to their judges and it's all consumer judges that just apply. So it's not industry experts. And they would send like these home kits with numbers on them. It's like numbered vials. And as soon as we put those first batches in bottles, we sent them to the SIP awards. We just met that first deadline. And uh, we had two blends at that point. One is the original coffee whiskey, 
our other is the dark roast in that first year the dark roast uh, received platinum and an innovation award and the original took double gold and that was really like a, a moment where we had put something in a bottle we had sent it out to the market we realized people really enjoyed it there was something there and then from that point on i think it's just been one foot in front of the other like believing in the process and and then sharing it with the community and seeing the response that the community has given us thus far has really just been the fuel in the tank um, since then and it's like the more people we share it with the more people enjoy the product and then they share it with their friends it it really seems like anything is possible now and uh it's just a matter of patience and persistence so that you mentioned just something that really kind of started my wheels turning, which is you shared it with the community. I do that as well. I mean, I share the stuff that I'm working on with the community as well. I feel like I'm pretty good at that, getting podcasts out or getting writing out or whatever it is, art that I'm working on. Where my hiccups come is the selling part of it. And you guys are a new brand in a COVID marketplace where it's not as easy as just walking into the bar manager and saying, hey, will you try this and will you buy a case? How did you start the process of selling it? And I'll also, I'm going to add on to that, make this a little bit of a longer question, which is you guys don't do a ton of social media marketing or that kind of branding. If I'm understanding it right, it's really been kind of like one-to-one word of mouth, like getting your product out in front of people. How did that turn into a a, a business, a, a viable business where people are buying your product as opposed to you going out and giving it to them and sharing it with them? Yeah, I'll, I'll preface with, with a part and I'll let, you know, David will take over on some of those first key accounts that, that really opened the door for us. So I think a part of it was we, we knew we had a brand that visually like caught people's attention. So, I mean, there was a lot of care going into creating something, something different on the shelf, something that we has like a modern feel with this kind of classic embodiment, really like an iconic symbol. You know, there's a lot of intention going into that. And as we show people like it, it definitely has this like eye catching and attention grabbing presentation. And then the, the actual flavor, the liquid, the liquid inside is unique. And like, once you taste it, it's really, it, it's something like you've never tasted before and it's super pleasant. And I mean, you know, every time we do liquid to lip tastings everywhere, there's just like s- such positive feedback and response. And we saw that in those first sip awards where, they didn't even get the branding. These were like unbranded bottles that just have like a number on them. And like, so we knew that we knew what we had, the product was like really good. So, I mean, it makes it a much easier sell to start when like those two things have been really dialed in. And then, you know, kind of I'll let David go into the process of uh, how he was able to like bring on those first accounts, especially during COVID, which was tricky. Yeah. I mean, as, as you guys are mentioning, it was a really like a strange time and it was a it was a weird dynamic of a lot of bars and restaurants not wanting to bring on new products transitioning to to go only uh, or outdoor dining um so a lot of spots that didn't have those capabilities were just closed completely and uh, early in the sales process right when we had you know our first bottles we connected with a lot of um off-premise accounts so you have like your local like um, small like uh, liquor stores and specialty grocery stores around some of them you know just hearing the story hearing this class project turned into small family business uh, gave us a chance and did put it on the shelf 
but also in that time, people were really tightening up um, spending too and, and going towards products that they were already familiar with. So not having the ability to do the trial in those stores, like we could get bottle placements in some stores, but we couldn't really do tastings at that point. Really, we saw that the way we needed to get people tasting the product was through local restaurant and bar partnerships. And we connected with several spots in downtown San Diego. Like I remember doing the initial rounds in the gas lamp area. And uh, just I was skating from one spot to the next with a little pack of mini bottles in my hand. And uh, it would go to spots and pour little samples uh, to anyone that was willing to try it. Just a lot of people weren't, were just not even willing to try the product. And then a lot of people tried it and said, maybe come back next year. You know, we're, we're liquidating our inventory. A few dozen no's early on. And that's just part of the process. At that point, it was like it felt a little more uh, threatening in terms of like, oh, maybe like, this isn't going to work because we're taking all these no's and all this stuff shutting down. Now it's just like you just roll with that. That's part of the process. <laughs> but we connected with Gaslamp Breakfast Company during that time. And the manager there, Zach, tasted the product and uh, enjoyed it and actually was ready to give it a chance on menu. So they're a local brunch spot in downtown on 6th and J right by Petco Park. And they have a lot of, uh, a lot of volume going out every day. Very popular. And they made a nitro cold brew coffee cocktail, uh, which it's like a great blend with any like hot or iced coffee. It's a very intuitive go-to. Uh, we have a little bit of organic agave nectar in the whiskey. Uh, so it, it balances really nicely with coffee cocktails, um, makes it a little smoother and sweeter than just pouring in like your traditional whiskey. They put that on the menu and we started doing tastings there, um, just like tray past, like small batch basis, um, just like in there whenever we could be like going from table to table with masks, uh, introducing the product, telling the story. And since they were already serving food and beverage, it was like easy to integrate into their flow. They were very generous in, in letting us do that at the time. They understood that we didn't have many opportunities to share this brand um, and they really welcomed us which was inspiring. A lot of people tasted it and a lot of people started ordering the cocktail. And now it's, I mean, been like their best selling coffee cocktail for the past year and a half. Just like that response uh, has led to a new menu placement we just got with all the breakfast republics. So that's the same restaurant group there. And, and they, you know, kind of gave us a chance. They looked at the initial data and and now we're, we're in all the breakfast republics and looking to do the same thing, just really getting out there and making people aware of the product, uh, like showing how well it works with the other offerings on the menu. And the awareness piece is so key. And we've done a lot of tastings since like things started to reopen. And that's where we've seen a lot of uh, resonance and people being excited about the story, people really enjoying the product, sharing it with friends. And it's the, one of the most inspiring things for me has been going to some events and doing a tasting and then we're at another event a few months later or somewhere else. And, and they say like, Oh, like I, I saw you there. Or my friend saw you there and shared a bottle with me. And like my friend told me the whole story, you know, like I was like at their house and like, they told me how it started as a class project at SDSU and how it's this small grassroots business and, and seeing like how the brand, uh, like story has resonated and been internalized in a way that other people can share a really like, it's like, that's how this will work. 
at the end of the day, it's like having people take in like the energy and, and be excited to share it with, with their friends and community. With that kind of embodiment there, it's, um, you know, it, it gives people a brand to resonate with in the alcohol space that, that they don't typically, you don't typically have, right? Like a story to connect with. I mean, if you look at any alcohol shelf, 80 to 90% of the bottles are all coming from the same few companies, which a lot of people don't know. There's like a handful of, of beverage companies that own m- most of the inventory on any bar you're looking at. And so they're, you know, they're so massive and they're so big and they've been around for so long that they don't really have, there's no need for them to have this, you know, story and lifestyle story and, and like really brand resonance. And they, and they don't because they're coming from like these large conglomerates where something like us, especially, you know, the supportive San Diego community, it's like, no, this, oh, this doesn't come from one of those. Like, this is a family owned business. Like we're second generation immigrants coming like and, and putting out a product here in in our hometown like and put everything we have into it so and it gives it that you know there's just has that authentic connection people have been super supportive in the community and even in the industry side of things to like you know where we have other distillers and and people like you know trent who we work with and nick who we work with at pacific coast spirits that are just like welcome us with open arms and like mentor us and are just happy to have you know more you know something new coming into the market on that note, I know that you guys have been out and about working with other brands and, and having events. Some, there's been a bunch of spirits events over the last six months or so that I've seen you guys pop up at or supporting shows. With coffee in general, coffee is a is an evolving product over time. So I'm wondering how do you figure out how to keep your product consistent? Because one of the things that whiskey and coffee are similar in is that whiskey kind of changes as it ages depending on how it's stored, depending on how it's distilled, depending on the temperature and the humidity and all those things. And coffee is very similar in that. How do you find coffee to go into your whiskey? And when you were first starting that process, was it as simple as like buying a bag of coffee and dumping it into a bottle of whiskey to figure it out? Or, you know, were you looking for concentrates? What is it that you guys thought, this is how we can not only make this product that all of these first few people seem to love, but we can do it again? and again, and again, over and over, over time? It's a great question. And early in the R&D process, it was the bag of beans you know, soaked in <laughs> soaked in a whiskey base. Uh, we started experimenting with different whiskey profiles to see what would balance best with the coffee profile. Uh, we experimented with some rye, some weeded bourbons, some, some corn whiskeys. Uh, we ended up landing on mash bill that's 99% corn, 1% barley gives it like this, like little, like smooth sweetness from the corn uh, that works really well uh, with the blends. And it just was the best balance as we continued the R and D process. And in the early blends, we would do like the coffee beans soaking in the whiskey and it would change a lot over time. As you mentioned, it would taste like really good. And then a month later, it would taste different. Two months later, it would taste different. Um, you'd have like some light particulate from the beans left in there. And we realized that to make something consistent, that we could really like honor the the product and create something that we could put out and, and share in the SIP awards. And if you're like having that experience and it's something that is award worthy, the customer is actually getting that same experience on the next batch or six months later 
and we ended up experimenting with some different decaf coffee extracts. And uh, that really we saw was the most stable way to make this product scalable. So we wanted the two flagship blends to be something we could scale without diminishing the, the profiles. Like there are a lot of small batch products where you can have something really special and then it starts to gain traction in the local market and the recipe needs to be changed to bring it to the mass market. And what it once was is no longer what it is. And we didn't want that to be what happened with First Light with these flagship blends. We wanted it to be something that wasn't perhaps like quite as bespoke or like varied batch to batch. Like you're not getting like the same like subtle nuance of a limited release product where it's like a hundred bottles and that's it. Uh, it is something that's, you know, more stable and more consistent. So you're like losing a little bit of the delicacies of like the subtleties of the, the whole bean infusion or the ground bean infusion. But then you're getting the consistency and you're getting a quality product. You know what to expect this, uh, we believe the best, best in class in the flavored whiskey category. Um, so we took the decaf coffee extract, we blended it with that corn whiskey base and added uh, some uh, organic agave nectar. It's a very dark grade of agave, so you get a lot of depth and complexity there as well that you don't get with high fructose corn syrup or cane sugar syrup that are uh, typically the go-tos in this space as well. And it also let us use a lot less sugar because you're getting uh, this robust flavor complexity from the agave. Uh, so you don't need a bunch of sugar to you know make it really smooth and easy drinking, which is what we wanted. Something that was really approachable uh, for whiskey drinkers and non-whiskey drinkers alike. And the original and dark roast blends directly came out of uh, our late friends and family test batches. Um, we had a couple different profiles. The original is a little more whiskey forward. You get a nice uh, clean coffee finish. Dark roast, a little more robust. You get some hints of roasted chocolate. And we tested it out to a few hundred friends and family members uh, right before we were ready to, to lock it in and put it in a bottle and put it on shelf. And the responses were 50-50. And we realized people have different palates. And uh, instead of shoehorning everyone into one profile, we decided to, to release both. And thus far, it's been surprisingly split in the open market so we'll see how it continues to to be received at scale i just realized my problem which is i don't have that many friends and family to test products on i i, I top out around 10. yeah we're lucky to have a large family <laughs> yeah during covid it was like free whiskey samples to share it with your friends friends of friends and uh yeah it was a fun time it was a fun thing to try like during those times too. I feel like it was something that was nice to share with the, our friends and family and like lifted people up a little bit in those times where it was like the lockdown and like dropping off little samples at people's doors, you know, because you can't like all taste it together and giving them little cards to fill out. What do you think? Like what is, uh, what is your experience with these products? So... Okay, to recap... Ryan and David are partners, they are co-CEOs, and while there is a fluidity to their roles, they also have a lane within the company structure. Ryan leads marketing and branding, while David focuses on sales and development. The name First Light comes from the Surf Report. It is a reference to the very first rays of sunlight that dance across the waves. They represent the start of a new day, of a new adventure. 
and being out there early will not only enable you to catch the best waves, it also reinforces that you're seizing the day, not letting it come to you. The coffee flavor in the First Light Coffee Whiskey comes from a decaf coffee extraction or a concentrate, which enables them to achieve a consistent flavor bottle after bottle. However, I also know that they sometimes collaborate with craft coffee roasters to create unique one-off bottles infused with locally roasted beans. Those special whiskeys don't have the same shelf life because coffee beans are ever-evolving, and the flavor change over time is less predictable. But if you see one on the shelf or on barbank.com or promoted on the at First Light Whiskey Instagram, likely around the holidays, I recommend snapping it up. It probably won't last that long in the liquor cabinet anyways. As a company, one of the First Light core mottos is embrace the unknown. There are no guarantees in business or in life, so finding a balance and appreciating the value of disconnecting and learning to give yourself a break is just as important as grinding hard day after day. There's always going to be more work to be done tomorrow. Granted, when you're doing what you love, either creating a new coffee-flavored whiskey or spirit, or producing a coffee podcast for that matter, it doesn't feel much like work. And finally, if you are in the SoCal area from San Diego to West Hollywood, you can find First Light Coffee Whiskies at every Breakfast Republic restaurant, or just order some for yourself on barbank.com. I remind you that you can get 15% off your First Light order with the discount code RWC. Link in the show notes and on roastwestcoast.com where you'll find this show's newsletter. You can also go direct to check out the First Light Whiskey Vibe on Instagram at First Light Whiskey or stop by firstlightwhiskey.com. This show has industry partners, including First Light Whiskey, who, along with our paid subscribers, ensure that this show gets made every single week and help us continue to grow. Other roast industry partners include Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Ascend Coffee Roasters. Thank you all for listening and for supporting this show, and for occasionally putting up with a train whistle or some truck noise in the background. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. And I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.